Well, hey guys, my name is Henry. I'm a ministry apprentice here at Christchurch. And we're, we're about to dig a bit deeper here into Acts 11 and what God has to say to us through it. And so because we want to hear what God wants us to say, uh, what God wants us to hear, let's pray to him and ask for his help in understanding it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our King Jesus. Please help us to listen to him this, this evening and put his word into practice in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, have you ever played the game Settlers of Catan? Or the game Civilization? Or Age of Empires? All of these are game, uh, games with the aim of building up a kingdom, an empire. And each of them do them in, in slightly different ways. But, but all with the same basic premise. You, know, you build more roads. You build more cities. In civilization and age of empires, you take over other people's stuff, and then you keep on growing and growing. In our world, when we think about building up a kingdom, that's kind of what we think about, right? We think about military expansion and a great army. Well, in today's passage, we, we have a king who is growing his kingdom completely unlike this. He's not growing it by, by conquest or, or military action because it's not a kingdom of this world. We have King Jesus, who's growing his kingdom by his people's preaching and their generosity. That's completely unlike any king, right? But this is the way that Jesus is growing his kingdom, his unstoppable kingdom. For the next three weeks, we're going to be diving into the book of Acts. Now, If you were here with us at Christchurch last year, well, we started right at the beginning of the book and came all the way to the middle of chapter 11. And now we're returning to Acts for these holidays to see the next part in the story. Last time we saw the unstoppable gospel. Jesus, the crucified king who had risen from the dead and conquered sin and death, well, he ascended to his throne in heaven and he sent out his people to share the news of his death and resurrection to the whole world. We watched as persecution started, as people began suffering for proclaiming salvation in Jesus' name, even to the point of death. But we watched as time and time again, even as barriers started getting in the way, the gospel kept on growing. It was unstoppable. Nothing could stop the news about Jesus. And the next barrier trying to stand in the way of the growth of Jesus' kingdom? Well, it's another king. Desperately trying to cling on to the power that he has. The power that he lives for. This king, he has no interest in giving up any of his power or influence over to this new king. So in, the, in these three weeks, we have a war, a battle 
going on between King Jesus and King Herod. Now, we don't hear much at all about King Herod in this week's passage, and so we'll look at him next week. Because this week, well, we get an insight into our first king, King Jesus. We hear about his kingdom, and we see him growing his kingdom. And he's growing it by his people's preaching and generosity. Jesus is active in the growth and spread of his kingdom by transforming the the words that his people are speaking and by transforming the actions that they're doing. We have kingdom preaching and we have kingdom generosity. Let's start with the first of these, kingdom preaching. In our passage, I'm not sure if you noticed, but but actually three times a certain phrase is mentioned. Have a look down and see if you can spot it. Well, the phrase, a great number of people, is mentioned three times. And that's not accidental. The message of of King Jesus, the, the gospel message, is spreading, and we're told by Luke three times, that a great number of people are hearing and believing. God's people are preaching the gospel and people are hearing and believing. People are are hearing the good news about Jesus and hearing and believing. And what becomes really clear here is that Jesus is the one who's growing his kingdom. God's people are preaching and and speaking, but they're not alone in this work because it's not the message of their kingdom. It's the message of Jesus' kingdom. And so it actually makes a lot of sense that Jesus is still heavily involved in the growth of his kingdom. Have a look down at the three times that it's mentioned. First time in verse 21. The Lord, that's Jesus' hand, was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. In verse 24, he, that's Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. This is the spirit that Jesus himself poured out to announce his kingship and equip his people to spread this. It's Barnabas, he's full of the spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And then in verse 26, For a whole year Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. These great numbers of people, they even begin to bear the king's title, Christ. And Now it's possible that this term started as a bit of a taunt, yeah, something that was thrown at these new followers of, of Jesus you know, by the people of Antioch in order to make fun of them. Oh, those, they're the Christians. But it seems to me that at the very least, these new believers, well, they were more than happy to bear the name of Christ. They wanted to be known as the Christ people. I think sometimes it can, it can be easy for us to try and shy away from that term. You know, shy away from the name Christian. Oh, you know, we're, we're followers of Jesus. 
But let's bear his name and declare it to the world. Declare to the world that we are his. We are members of his kingdom. Jesus is growing his kingdom by his people's preaching. Let's have a look at that first time again. Because I think we see Jesus' work even clearer. Verses 19 to 21. Now those who'd been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. God is sovereign and in control over everything, from the tiny little things in this world to the massive world-changing ones. Here we see that a persecution that started right as someone died for proclaiming that Jesus is the king, well, that persecution is the cause of the gospel leaving Jerusalem and reaching these cities. And think about this, because it doesn't even just end there. Think about all of the world events that even made that possible. We had Alexander the Great who conquered the whole area and made them all speak under a common language, meaning that these men from Jerusalem can actually go and speak to these people in Antioch. We have the the Roman Empire, which has allowed for easier and better travel between places such as Jerusalem and Antioch. The world was prepared for the coming message of King Jesus. Jesus is directing the spread of his gospel by people suffering for the words that they're speaking. And even if we take a closer look at Antioch, this even becomes clearer. Because it's not even just reaching these specific places by accident. Because remember, Jesus is the one who's growing his kingdom. He's not getting it there by accident. This city, Antioch, it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It's behind only Rome and Alexandria down in Egypt. It had a seaport and made much of its money from trade and commerce. This is the city of the region. When you think about Antioch, this isn't like Wollongong or Newcastle. This is Sydney that we're talking about. It's an extremely strategic place. And understandably, it becomes the sending point for many missionary journeys out to the rest of the region. So Jesus' kingdom is spreading and growing by his people's preaching. Paul and Barnabas are, are teaching the people of Antioch the truth about the gospel and seeing a great number of people come to know the Lord Jesus in response. And so it should be no surprise to us that Jesus is continuing to grow his kingdom today also. See, we know that Jesus saved then, 
but he saves now too. Jesus is growing his kingdom by his people's preaching. And so we should actually be expecting that people come along to church here and then hear the gospel message preached, the news of Jesus, of his death and resurrection, and then get saved. We should be expecting that because we know that Jesus is growing his kingdom by his people's preaching. And, you know, that's actually what we're seeing. Just this term, I had the privilege of running our Christian Explored course, and it was absolutely incredible to hear three people say in response to our time together, yeah, I'm now a Christian. How awesome is that? Seeing people come from death to life. Praise God for that. But you know, I may have been the one who, who, who was clicking the button to start the video, and, and I tried to answer some questions and all that. And some of the other people may have been the ones who were inviting their friends. But trust me when I say that it was not my work that saved them. Jesus is the one who's growing his kingdom. He's doing it by his people's preaching. And so we preach. We tell people the good news about Jesus and know that Jesus will be the one who works in them. Uh, you may be thinking, oh, Henry, it's awesome to hear about people coming to know Jesus. And, and you know, I, I want this to happen to more and more people. But that's not me. I'm not a preacher. And, and that's why I, I support what's going on here at church, so that they can be the ones who are doing the preaching. Maybe you're watching this evening and that's what's going through your head. I don't think this is really what we can think if we truly understand the gospel. Because the gospel means that there is eternal life, there is forgiveness, there is freedom on offer to those who turn to Jesus. But to those who don't know Jesus, well, they have none of this. Our love for our friends and our families should mean that we want them to come to know Jesus. And the problem is that if you want to just leave the preaching to, to the people up front here at church, then the chances of your friend hearing the gospel and being saved, well, they're way smaller. Jesus is growing his kingdom by your preaching too. And now this, this doesn't necessarily mean standing in front of them and monologuing to them for 25 minutes. <laughs> that would just be weird. But what it might mean is actually sharing with them that you're a Christian. It might mean telling them a bit about the hope that you have because of the gospel. And there's a good chance that it might mean inviting them to something here at Christchurch. Last week we announced Open Day. And Open Day is going to be a great chance to invite people to come and check out Jesus. 
Is it your longing to see a great number of people come to know Jesus on that weekend? Who are you thinking about and praying for and planning to invite on that day? Because Jesus is growing his kingdom by your preaching. Jesus is growing his kingdom by his people's preaching. It's his kingdom. But he's growing it through our words. Let's speak the saving words of the gospel to our world that needs to hear it. But let's move on to point two, kingdom generosity. Jesus is growing his kingdom by his people's generosity. He is transforming not just the way that they speak, but everything that they do. Let's read from verses 27 to 30. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. A famine was coming. But Jesus wouldn't let his people starve. The believers who live in Judea, he won't let them starve. And so he's transforming the hearts of his people to now live and prioritize differently, to, to be generous. And now, what does that mean, to, to be generous? Well, generosity is really closely linked with selflessness. It means giving without expecting anything in return. You're not being generous if you expect to be paid back right away. The heart of generosity is giving and not expecting anything in return. And so generosity then is really a fundamental Christian thing. But the Christians at Antioch, their generosity is clearly linked in as a response to the good news that they've been hearing. They were hearing the good news about Jesus and hearing that really they have a generous king in Jesus and living in response. They recognized that what they owned wasn't really theirs even. But even that was a gift from God that they had the responsibility to use as God wants them to. This is what caused their generosity. It didn't come out of a feeling of obligation or, or a desire to impress the people around them. It came out of realizing and recognizing that spiritually, I have nothing and am nothing. But Jesus gave me everything. And he fills us and keeps on going, meaning that we overflow with generosity, knowing that we've been given everything without deserving any of it. 
And this passage, that the, uh, the, the, the famine that the passage talks about, the famine that caused this generosity, it actually really happened. A, a number of secular historians mention it. Uh, Lucius says that it happened during the reign of Claudius. Um, from what we know, Claudius Caesar reigned from AD 41 to AD 54, and a number of historians all mention a famine occurring in the area during the reign of Claudius. Most notably, historian Erosius specifies actually that a famine occurred during AD 46 and AD 47. We can narrow this down all the way to that. This is yet another reason why we can trust the Bible. And this really is an important reminder to us as, as we read the Bible, right? Like these are real people. They, these events happened in real history. And so the, the problem here is that these are real people who are about to die of starvation because of a famine. And Josephus actually writes that a number of people in Jerusalem did die during this famine because of starvation. But what we see here is that Jesus has no interest in letting his people starve. That's not the sort of king that he is, who doesn't care about the welfare of his people. And so the Spirit, through the Spirit, the Spirit that Jesus has poured out to empower and equip his people, through the Spirit, the King Jesus, he, sp he speaks to his people and he calls them to generosity. A man named Agabus, he steps up and predicts that this famine will come. And so what do the people do in response? As each one was able, they decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. See, this is how Jesus plans on looking after his people. By his people. Jesus is transforming the hearts of the members of his kingdom so that they will be generous and give to those who need help. And it's not like all of them had to give the exact same amount. You know, there, there would be some people in this church who were, were richer than others and some who were poorer than others. But each one gave as they were able. What a great picture of generosity this is. But if you're not yet living with Jesus as your king, well, have a look at the sort of king that he is. It's our prayer that here at Christchurch that you would see the generosity of our Lord Jesus through the generosity of his people. Jesus gave his life in order to pay the punishment for sin that you deserve. Come to Jesus. Join his kingdom and receive the generosity of our king. But like the Christians in Antioch, Jesus is transforming our actions too. 
We, we have a generous king who gave up his life for us. And so it makes perfect sense that here in the passage that being a part of Jesus' kingdom means to be overflowing with generosity. If someone were to look at your bank account, see all of your bank transactions, where your money is stored, invested, spent, saved, do you think they would describe you as overflowing with generosity? The way that we spend our money must, like the Christians in Antioch, be shaped by the gospel? Is the gospel reflected in your budget? What are you giving up, sacrificing in order to give more? Are you someone who is holding tightly to your money, seeing only the way that it can serve you? Well, maybe you need to, to rethink your giving here at church. And see it as gospel generosity, a natural and standard part of being a Christian. A member of Jesus' kingdom. But while we we must and need to look here at church to to see see the gospel needs here and be generous, we must think wider too. And if you've been reading our weekly emails, you would have seen some of the things outside of our church building that we've been giving to. $50,000 has been given to a bunch of global mission projects, to places such as this, the the Chianjano Baptist Church in Zambia that we heard about in this week's weekly email. If you haven't heard about any of these, go back and give the email a read. It's amazing to hear some of these stories of people's lives having been changed by generosity because there are great needs in our world, both physical and spiritual. Do you realize that there are still people in our world who go to bed hungry each night? Do you realize that there are people who don't have any access to clean water? And do you realize that right now there are people who, in our world who have never and at the moment will never hear the good news about Jesus, hear that they can go from death to life? Our gospel generosity, it extends past the walls of our church past the the borders of our region, actually to the whole world. A world that is in desperate need of the good news about Jesus. And also for some of the necessities of life. And we shouldn't be content with either of these two. And while one of these has implications for, for not just this life, but for all of eternity... We can't give up on either of these for the sake of just what's going on here. For your next birthday or Christmas present, why don't you ask for or purchase for someone else a gift card from Tia? 
which could give a family or even a whole community access to food or water? Or, or why not do the same for CMS, the Church Missionary Society, with one of our partners that we support all across the world who are working in these places to see people go from death to life with Jesus, to see a world that knows Jesus. Jesus is growing his kingdom by our generous actions. Let's partner with him in his generosity. Having Jesus as your king transforms everything because he's working in us and through us to grow his kingdom. And he's a good king, a, a generous king, which then should show in the hearts of his people. And he's a better king than the kings of this world. And over the next couple of weeks, though, we're going to see that these other kings, they don't even stand a chance against the power of Jesus' unstoppable kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our King Jesus. Thank you that he is a generous king whose love for us overflows, who has given us more than we can ever ask for or imagine. Father, we thank you so much for the goodness of our King. We're sorry that we have sinned and rebelled against you and, and even need any saving, but we thank you that that is on offer through our Lord Jesus. Father, help us to live in response to our King. Help us to be overflowing with generosity in the way that he is. And Father, help us to always be looking for ways to be preaching the good news about Jesus to our friends, knowing that they can only be saved by this message, the message of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.